Good morning and happy Father's Day to all of us who are blessed enough to be fathers. It's, it's an amazing, wonderful uh, gift, title, role most of the time. I am blessed uh, three times over in this world to be a father. We have children that went on before that one day I will get to uh, glory with them and and enjoy that as well in some way. I don't know what that is that God has in store, but I am thankful for my three children and now my grandchildren. I have two little grandbabies. Uh, they're a blessing. They are a blessing. So I'm very, very thankful to be a father, husband of a wonderful, godly wife, and just blessed in, in that regard. And, and I don't take it for granted. I do not take it for granted. Very thankful. So we're going to get in this morning. Uh, we're going to finish up what I started last week. Absolute victory. Absolute victory. And before we do, let me pray over our time together. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you first and foremost for allowing those of us who are fathers to uh, be esteemed in that role. It is, it is a high and mighty calling and help us not to take it for granted. Help us to um, be humbled by the opportunity to raise up children, to help raise up children uh, in you, for you, by you, and all those things. And we are so thankful for that. And now, Lord, as we finish up this message from your mighty word, absolute victory, Lord God, I pray that you would help us to know and understand that you created us for victory for victory, not for defeat. And I thank you that you're going to show us by your spirit this morning how we can achieve absolute victory for Christ's sake. Amen. Okay, well, last time, and I'm just going to review this very briefly, the videos I posted on my YouTube channel, Only Jesus Life. <clears throat> it's Everything's on our website, onlyjesus.life, desperatemen.org. We talked about absolute victory, and I shared with you that that phrase or those, those words came from FDR's very famous this day will live in infamy speech after the horrific attack on Pearl Harbor that took thousands of American lives in that sneak attack and he promised the next day that the United States would with all diligence and with all force required ultimately achieve absolute victory in that war and they did it took years to achieve it but they did and so I was struck by those words because God intends for us as Christians to achieve absolute victory, to walk in victory, to live in victory, and we will ultimately achieve it, and we know that. But I just want to remind you this morning about that. We talked about last time that, that life was defeated by sin, that right in the beginning after creation and God gave Adam and Eve the, the knowledge and the will and the ability to think and make decisions, and they chose poorly, and sin came into the world, and so sin defeated life because death came into the world with sin. That's how death came into the world. It was not what God intended. God, perfect God created a perfect world, perfect man and woman, and expected us to live per perfectly in fellowship with him forever. It was wonderful. It was great. And the good news is it's going to be restored to that in the ultimate victory, and we'll get to that before we close today. So that's how victory was snatched uh, to defeat or brought to defeat by sin. But we went on to talk about how God, because of his promise right there in Genesis 3, he promised that he was going to ultimately uh, defeat sin, and he did. And so we talked about how Jesus came into the world to defeat sin. And I shared a couple of verses with you. 
Uh, let me review those just so that you know where you can find them. In John 17, 2 and 3, we read this. Just he's, By the way, this is Jesus' prayer. This is really the Lord's prayer in John 17. Not the one which is the model prayer, but this is where Jesus is praying and praying for his disciples. And that includes us. So just as you gave um, him, meaning himself, he's speaking in third person, over mankind, so that to all whom you've given him, he may give eternal life. And that's us who are born again in Christ. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. We have victory because of Christ, because we, we, we believe and we're born again into Christ by his blood. In Romans 8, Paul wrote these, many of you know these verses, Paul wrote this. Therefore, there now is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. We have victory over the law of sin and death. And we're going to talk about how in just a minute. And in Revelation 12, as the, as the word of God begins to wrap up in that amazing, mysterious book of Revelation, in 12, 11, we read this. And they, meaning the Christians, the believers who had suffered and died at that point, up to that point, and they overcame in victory, had victory over Satan, the him in that verse is Satan, because of the blood of the Lamb, because of Jesus Christ. We have victory in Jesus Christ, his blood, and the word of their testimony, and the word of their testimony. They spoke it. You know, there's a verse that says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's time for us and our culture and our nation to step up as Christians and say so. But we have victory because of the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony. But Christian, I'm here to tell you, to admonish you, to exhort you, to give your testimony, to speak out, to not be ashamed that you were born again in Christ, to not be ashamed to stand on the word of God, which is his truth. This is truth. All the stuff that you're reading, hearing, seeing, television's full of it now is trying to convince our children and our grandchildren that these other lifestyles and things are okay when they are not. They are sin. They are sinful lifestyles. And God has called them out multiple times in Scripture, and I've shared that with you, and I will again as we take another look at that. But that's where our nation is today. Where are we supposed to be in it? We are supposed to be overcoming by the blood of the Lamb, which we have if you're born again in Christ, and the word of our testimony. So you be mindful to speak up and make sure that people know the reason for the hope that you have. And that word is in Christ Jesus. That's where our hope comes from. Hope's not in this world. So now let's get into today's message. How do we do this? How do we achieve victory? How do we fight these battles? How do we fight these battles and win and overcome? How do we do that? Well, I want to share with you a couple of verses that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 10. These are powerful verses because he said this, look, we walk in the flesh, but we walk in the flesh. We do not war or fight according to the flesh. Okay, We walk in the flesh, which means we're human beings. But what you have to understand, Christian, is that what's going on around us is spiritual warfare. Now, it sounds crazy. And as I've said to you before, people love these movies about spirits and demons and all the crazy things going on in the occult. Or, and there are spirits and there are evil spirits and they are real. So there's a there's a spiritual warfare going on in our world, in our universe. There just is. And I won't go down the path of explaining that, but just understand Paul was saying he knew it. He said, look, the, though we we um, 
though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. The weapons of our warfare are not our guns, those things that we are allowed to have constitutionally, that people use for protection, to hunt with, those, all those things that have been there, given rights throughout history, that's fine, that's good. But those are not the weapons that are going to ultimately win the war. It's not going to be nuclear weapons. The mightiest of the mighty weapons, down to somebody with a slingshot, it is not going to be physical weapons. It isn't. That's not what's going on. It's not a physical war. There will be physical war, and there will be Armageddon, but it will be a short-lived battle. Why? Because they're going to mount up all the physical weapons that they can, and God's going to come in with angelic and spiritual weapons, and it's over. It's over because the weapons of heavenly spiritual warfare are those that we have and our power if we'll just use them to defeat any enemy, including Satan, any demon that he puts into our lives, any demons that try to attack us, tear us down, tear down our families, tear down our children. I'm especially mindful of that as a father, as I pray, and a grandfather, as I pray over my children, my family. I pray I have dominion over my family. My family, I'm not letting Satan tear down and destroy my family. And I stand on that promise all the time as I pray and I lay on the floor and I cry out to God for my family, my family. And I do the same for yours. And you need to as well. Man. So those weapons are not of the flesh. They're not guns. They're not bombs. They're not those things. They're a spiritual warfare. And they're mighty. And here's what they are. There's three of them. And you know what they are. If you're a Christian and you've been in the church any time and you've looked at the Bible, studied it at all, you know what they are. And it begins with this, the Holy Spirit. The absolute power in the universe is the Holy Spirit of the living God who is God. And let me say that again because I always say it that way when I speak his name. The Holy Spirit of the living God who is himself God. The Holy Spirit gets left out sometimes. People kind of get confused about it. People get scared about what it is and gifts and manifestations and different things like that. And so they bunny trail down things and they avoid the part that they, they miss the most important part that the Holy Spirit is God. Just as much God as God the Father and God the Son who manifests himself as Jesus in the flesh, the three in one, the triune God that mysterious trinity that is so difficult to understand, but understand this, the Holy Spirit is God, just as much God as God the Father and God the Son, three in one, three distinct persons, personalities, but altogether God, okay? It's important that we know that as Christians. Jesus was telling the disciples throughout the end of his ministry, look, I'm leaving for a reason. If I don't leave, the power for you to do all these things, the power for you to live a victorious life will not be there. If I just told you all these things and I spoke them into you, and yet I didn't come back and dwell in you, how in the world would you live any of that? And the answer is we could not. If you're falling, failing, flailing around in the flesh, it is because you don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit that's within you as a Christian. Uh, the different, I'm going to talk, there are manifestations of the Holy Spirit, there are gifts of the Holy Spirit, but if you're born again in Christ, we are told that we have the power, the Holy Spirit in us. And we do. And so Jesus said throughout those 
ending chapters of the Gospels, and especially in John, in John 14 and John 16, he kept telling him about the Holy Spirit. And he said, but you'll know him because he remains with you and will be in you. The helper, the paraclete, and the dunamis power, the helper, the encourager, the helper that loves us, breathes in us, a gentle one, and the dunamis power, and that dunamis means same word for dynamite. This awesome, unimaginable power that will ultimately destroy evil and, and defeat sin <laughs> lives in us. And he's our helper. And he's the one that comes along and weeps with us and, and groans with us when we pray and we have no words to pray. That is the Holy Spirit of the living God who himself is God. He's going to come to you. I'm going to send him. He'll teach you all things. He's teaching you now. As I teach the word of God, the Holy Spirit, if you're listening, breathing into you, is teaching you all things, the things that you need to know to live, to overcome, to be victorious. He's going to remind you of all that I told you. The Gospels have a lot of information about Jesus. But John said, listen, this is just a small sampling. The books of libraries and libraries and more and more books and hundreds and thousands could not contain all the things that he did and said. We were with him three years. We can't remember all that stuff. You know how it is with us. I can't remember what Gigi said to me yesterday or last night about something. And, and here I'm supposed to remember all these amazing things that Jesus taught me and said. Of course I can't do that. They're no, they were no more or less human than us, these disciples. So Jesus said, you need help, and I'm sending help. Your victory in this life is going to come when you exercise the power of this helper that I'm sending. And Acts 180 said this, this powerful verse, you know it, when he was about to ascend, and all these followers, not just his disciples, but all the followers and Christians of that time in that part of the world gathered around. And before he ascended into heaven, before their very eyes, he said this. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's Acts 1.8, the first part of it. And then he goes on to say, and you'll be my messengers, my witnesses. You'll be the ones teaching, preaching, living by example in all the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the world. You see, the only way to do that is the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the first one of our weapons for victory. And it is the most important. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of the living God is God. And he lives in us. Do you understand that? Then get in the word and read these verses that I've shared. And there are many more in my notes. They'll be posted in the blog this week so that you can read them if you want to. Or you can watch this video. Or you can take the audio file that we strip off as a podcast. And use that while you're walking, while you're exercising, whatever you're doing, to keep speaking into your mind the truth. And the truth is, we win. Sin defeated life. Jesus defeated sin. And we win. And he intends for us to live in absolute victory. The second one is this, prayer. Prayer. Power of the Holy Spirit. Victory in the Holy Spirit and that power and victory through prayer. I'm going to read a passage I did not initially have in here, but I was praying this morning, and this came to my mind. And in John 14, there's some verses that Jesus was again teaching on prayer that as Christians, we too often just ignore. 
We haven't forgotten them. We're just ignoring them. So let me just read to you again. This is toward the end. This is the last days that Jesus is spending with his disciples. And he's trying to encourage them. And in John 14, verse, I'm going to start in verse 11. He said this. Again, Jesus speaking to his disciples. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. That's that Jesus, they're one. They're in one. It's a trinity. It's an indivisible trinity, three in one. And so Jesus said, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. And they're also both in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit them. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, all those miracles he's been doing, he will do also. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. And how does that work? Well, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let me keep going a couple of verses, because you see, that's where people stop and get into that name it and claim it nonsense of teaching and doctrine, which is not doctrine at all. It's false doctrine. There is no name it and claim it, but it sounds like it. He said, whatever you ask in my name, I'm going to do it. Well, people will grab that and run with it. Man, that sounds great to me. Wow. Yeah, Jesus, I like that. So I'm going to start naming it and claiming it and all this stuff. That is not what it says because you have to keep reading. That's, that's one little piece of a verse in this full passage. It's called pulling things out of context. And so what he said was, whatever you ask, in, that, that I will do. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. So the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, let me keep reading. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, because Jesus has been their helper to this point. Now he's talking about the Holy Spirit, that he may be with you forever. And that is the Spirit of truth. It is the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. You remember Jesus prayed, and he talked about prayer, and he prayed for them. He prayed with them. He taught them to pray. Prayer is a power tool for victory in the Christian life. But we don't exercise it enough. Some don't. I do. I, I pray all the time because I need help. And I need help, lots of help. I need help from me. I'm a man of little faith often, too often, and discouraging to me. And I, I just need to be on my face, on my knees, wherever I'm walking, prayer walks and stuff, things that I do that, to keep my prayer life uh, vigorous and, and vigilant because that's the only way that I can communicate with God is through prayer and the Holy Spirit speaking to me as I listen in through prayer. Well, the same is true for you, brothers and sisters. I mean, prayer is the only way that you communicate with God. That's it. There's no other tool. You can't text him. He's not on Facebook. And so for a lot of people, that rules out most of the way you communicate. And that's unfortunate. But prayer is power for victory and how we live and overcome this world. It's the power of prayer. We have victory in prayer. But you have to exercise it. You have to use it. Most of you know this. But once again, the, the sad statistics are that Christians don't read their Bibles. We don't spend any time in the Word of God. And again, if our only way to communicate with him through him is prayer, the only way to know about him is his word, his revelation in his word, how are you going to know about your Father, your Savior, and the Holy Spirit? Those three parts of the mysterious Trinity, 
that are all God, how are you going to know that? How are you going to understand how to live what you're supposed to do, not do, and just how to live that abundant life, what that abundant life means? Because I promise you, it doesn't mean abundance in finances and the kind of prosperity gospel nonsense it's taught. You see, we live in an age now where there's the name it and claim it stuff, and there's this prosperity gospel nonsense. Those people, those men and women that are teaching it are prospering quite a bit on the nickel of those who are foolish enough to support it and listen to that garbage because it sounds great. Who doesn't want to be told that you're going to be rich and famous if you just claim it and just lay it out there and God will show this, God will do that. God will answer any prayer according to his will. He will. And some people prosper mightily, even financially. They do. And it's the hand of favor and blessing of God. But I challenge you to go through the New Testament and find the believer that's that talked about here or the disciples who prospered financially and lived in big homes and drove nice cars and all the things that they did. I challenge you to go and find that in the New Testament. It isn't there. It doesn't mean that there weren't wealthy believers because there were. They supported the work of Jesus' ministry, the disciples' ministry, Paul's ministry. We're doing a, a month of teaching about giving and stewardship on my uh, Men for Men podcast as we try to keep this ministry going. And so there are people that are prosperous in that way. But that's not what the Word of God is teaching. The Word of God is teaching that, that the Spirit of God should prosper, should grow, should flourish in us. And so that the good works would be uh, bear fruit in us and through us. That's the kind of prosperity that he wants. That's the prosperity gospel, is the prosperity of the Word of God taking root, power of the Holy Spirit, taking those seeds, growing fruit, and affecting the world for Christ. That's how I want to prosper. And that's how I want you to prosper, to understand what that really means. And Hebrews 4.12, powerful verse. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and penetrating or piercing as to the dividing of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And he gives the analogies that mean a lot to me because I'm a medical healthcare guy. Penetrating divide, joints and marrow. You have your joints. The marrow is, the, is that uh, stuff inside your bone, inside the uh, canals of your bone, immediately canals of your bone, produces bone cells, produces marrow, produces blood cells. I mean, it's, it's, um, he's, he's just going down to this small level to say, look, this is the word of God. And it's powerful and active, more powerful than the weapons of the world. That was because swords were what that sharp sword was the weapon. Word of God is more powerful than that. And it can divide all the way down to the smallest things, you see. That's what he's trying to show in that analogy. And including, on the spiritual side, the thoughts and intentions of my heart. What I'm really thinking. What I really intend to do. That's a, that's a challenging place to let him go, isn't it? But we need to. We need to. We need to let him reveal everything about ourselves so that we can allow him to work on us and in us first. And then we can have that witness and power and testimony. But it begins with us. See, I have to allow him to work in me. I say, Lord, work in me and work on me so that you can work through me. That's my prayer very often. You'll find that in my journal probably as much as anything else over many years. 
Lord God, by your Holy Spirit, work in me. Work on me so that you can work through me. Because I promise you that Walter Spires is constantly getting in his own way. Getting in my own way of what the Holy Spirit wants to do and accomplish through me. And I don't want that. And I know you don't either. The Word of God is living, active, sharpening a two-edged sword. In 2 Timothy, Paul taught the uh, young Timothy this. He said, look, all Scripture is inspired. And by the way, this is where we, one of the places we take that the Word of God here that we have, all Scripture is God-breathed. That's the word there. That's the Greek. Inspired is in many translations. It's God-breathed. It's inspired by God. And it's, productive, it's beneficial or useful for teaching, teaching, rebuke, correction, and training in righteousness. Those four things. Teaching, correction, rebuke, training, and righteousness. Those four things. So that what? The men and women of God may be completed. Adequate is what one translation says, but complete, equipped for every good work. The Word of God. All Scripture. God reads. Whether you understand it or not, that's not the point. I don't understand everything that I read. I've been studying a long, long time. I know a lot about the Bible from the Hebrew to the Greek through all these things, but there's a lot of it I do not understand, but I understand enough. I understand enough to believe it, to love it, to consume it, to let the Holy Spirit try to help me live it and to teach it. And that's my calling. And that's what I'm trying to be faithful to do. And that's it. The Word of God, living and active, sharper. Word of God, inspired, inspired by God. It's not a bunch of things just put together. It would have never endured had it been. It never endured these thousands of years had it just been the words of men cobbled together in pages and then divided into chapters and verses later on. Wouldn't have survived unless it was the Word of God and the way that He communicates with us through prayer and the way we learn about God about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, and about our life, this side of heaven, is through this word. So, Christian, get in that word. Get in that word daily. Daily. Cut out one show. Cut out one session of Facebook. Cut out something that you're doing that is useless. It's useless for building you up in the kingdom, building you up in Christ. It's useless for that. Spend some time in the word. Get a great study Bible. I give out study Bibles all the time. If you want a study Bible, you call me, write me, whatever, you let me know, and I'll see if we can get you one. Study Bibles because it's like having the, the someone help teach you and understand these difficult things without a pastor teacher there, without someone like me. I tell the men in prison, with the mission, other places where we give Bibles all the time. I give them every time I show up, I give anyone who doesn't have a Bible, I give them a study Bible. Because I tell them, listen, I'm not always going to be here. I'm not here very much. Haven't been there in a long time because they're still shut down because of all the COVID stuff. But if they've got a good study Bible, at least they can find some other notes to help them understand the truths of the Word of God. And that's what I want to do. And I want to understand more. Yes, I do. All right. We start to wrap this up. We've, we've looked at that one. Let's go back and refresh here. Remember now, we've got three different ways that we live and win victoriously. Remember, this is this is spiritual warfare. Do not forget this is spiritual warfare. This is not just walking around in the normal world of three dimensions and people and animals and breathing air and all that stuff. Okay, that's part of it. That's the physical part of it, of creation. 
But there's a spiritual side we don't see. There's war going on around us we don't see. There's demonic warfare. There are demons, fallen angels, Satan. That's as real as you and I sitting here and me tapping on my Bible. It's as real as that. We only think it's stuff we see in movies and stuff that we like to see to scare ourselves or whatever. You should be scared because it's real. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the power of prayer to rebuke and speak against that, just like Jesus did. We can do anything that he did with the power of prayer, believing by the will of God, through the will of God, we can. Any of those things, I believe that. And then we have the word of God to teach and instruct us and help us and encourage us, admonish us, call us out. Those three things. But now we're going to talk about the last one, which is victory over death. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul wrote this. Now, if Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? For if there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. That's in 1 Corinthians 12 through 18 excerpts out of that. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 18. <laughs> if there's no resurrection, if Christ didn't gain power over death through the resurrection and that victory over death, then Paul said the truth. If Christ isn't resurrected, there's no such thing. Because you see, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. There's one difference between them and the Pharisees. They didn't believe in the resurrection. So Paul is dealing with other people who didn't believe in the resurrection. Just teaching, listen, that's foolishness. If there's no resurrection, Christ isn't, re isn't resurrected. There's no victory over death. So his victory of his blood victory over sin on the cross is meaningless. Uh, his victory over death didn't happen because he didn't get resurrected. So we're still dead in our sins, and I love the way he closes out. And he said, we are most of all to be pitied. Pitied, Walter, you are pitiful. And see, that's what the world thinks. I stand here on the word of God and his promises and my faith in that, and I teach you the truth of the word of God. But if this is a bunch of nonsense and just another book put together by a bunch of people over a lot of years, a long, long time ago, what he's saying is, if all of that is false, fake, lies, then we're most of all to be pitied. I'm one of the biggest fools in the world. I'm a fool. And Paul said later on, let's be a fool. I'm a fool for Christ's sake. So if I'm going to be a fool in this world, and I certainly can be, I did foolish things as a young man, as a boy, as a young man, until I came to Christ, there's foolish things, foolish things. But if I stand here week in and week out and, and doing this ministry and teaching whoever will listen and try to share with people the way I see it is uh, from all people from all walks of life, regardless of zip code, I'll go anywhere to teach the word of God, anywhere they'll let me. I'll come in and cheer, teach the word of God and the truth and, and victory over sin and life and death through Jesus Christ. It's what I love to do more than anything else. But if it's a bunch of nonsense or it's, it's some foolish lies, then I'm the big, one of the biggest fools in the world. There are many other fools, but I'd be one of the biggest. And that's what Paul meant when he said, we're most of all to be pitied. And people think we're pitiful. 
people think that Christians in general are pitiful, mostly because Christians don't live a very uh, a life that looks very Christ-like to them, or we're haters, we're serial, you know, or whatever, racist and bigots and all the things we've been labeled now by the nonsense of this critical race theory and other things that are being now taught in our schools, taught in our schools, uh, just stuff that um, grieves the spirit of God. It does, and it should grieve you as well. It grieves me. So think about what my little grandbabies will be doing. It isn't going to be that. I promise you that. It is not going to be that. We have to stand on the truth of the Word of God and speak it. And that's what I'm going to do the rest of my life as long as I live. Most of all, to be pitied. More than 700 years ago, Isaiah wrote these words. Speaking of Jesus, it was a prophecy. It said he... And it's Jesus. By the way, this is Isaiah 25, 8. This is cool because I'm going to show you where it's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Isaiah 25, 8, um, he wrote this. He will swallow up death and victory. He will swallow up death and victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all the faces. That's the time all the tears are wiped off. All the healing comes. And the rebuke of his people, he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken it. The very first line was what? He will swallow up death and victory. So 700 plus years later, again to the church of Corinth, Paul wrote this. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trumpet. Talking about Christ's coming. The trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. That's we're dead in the flesh as we live now. We will become imperishable in our resurrected bodies. Hallelujah, is going to be great. Mortal puts on immortality is how he says it. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written. This is where he quotes Isaiah, the same words. Death is swallowed up in victory. This is when what Isaiah said 700 plus years ago happens. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. And you remember that verse. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God who gives us victory. Absolute victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm running out of time. And I want to wrap this up. Christian, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. And you can live victoriously between now and the time that you, that you achieve the ultimate victory of your resurrected body. If we're dead in Christ, we go to sleep in the Lord. Our spirits are immediately in heaven. We rejoin our bodies. But at that time, that's absolute ultimate victory. But until then, you can live victoriously in this world by the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of prayer, and the power of his word. So don't forget those things. Purpose today that you're going to understand and believe that you have the Holy Spirit within you. And you should be bearing fruit as a result. That's what Jesus said. That's what John said. That's what Peter said. Paul said the sign that we're born again in Christ is that we are bearing fruit. There are seasons when we do not, but there are seasons when we must. And that's what we're supposed to do. Power of the Holy Spirit, power of prayer, power of the written word. Now, for those of you who are holding out, thinking I'm one of these fools, <laughs> pitying me. Thank you for your pity, but it's misdirected. Look, 
This is the truth. It's the whole truth and nothing but the truth shall help me, God. And I'm sharing it today in part for you because you continue to doubt, to struggle, to wonder why God would let bad things happen and all those questions that come up and how could a good God let my child die, my mother die, someone die of cancer? How could a good God let all these things happen? We live in a fallen world and this side of Christ's return, the world again, is it, victory was snatched by sin and you're living in your sin and you are dead in that sin. And so you too can have ultimate victory in life, but it comes in two ways. First, you got to recognize that you really are a sinner. And so many people hate that word. Oh, don't call me a sinner. You're being negative. I didn't do that. Jesus did. He said, he said in Matthew 4, right after he started his ministry, why he came. I came to call sinners to repentance. And that includes you. It included me. It included everyone who's born again in Christ. The first thing we did was say, man, I've screwed this up. I have screwed this up. Yeah. I guess I get it now. I am a sinner. I didn't think I was as evil and wicked, and I, I didn't do what those guys did. I mean, that's really, that's sin there. That's what I'm doing is not sin. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. All of sin, Paul said, all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. And so when you recognize that, then, so that's terrible, awful. I'm lost in my sin. I'm dead in my sin, and you are. But here's the good news. It's the good news of the gospel, and the gospel is that Jesus came, loved you so much. God didn't want you to perish in your sin. He want you to spend eternity in hell. He made a way in that way is Jesus Christ. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And I'm sorry if that sounds exclusionary or bigoted or whatever you want to call it in some way, but it's the truth because Jesus' own words spoke it. And so that's my invitation to you this morning is look, Understand that you are lost in your sin and you will perish and you are condemned by your sin. But there's a way out. There's a way up. There's a way to live victoriously over all these things, as I have shared, if you just receive Christ as your Savior. And I pray you'll do that today. Father God, thank you that we as Christians can and should be living victoriously in the power of the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, power of your word power of prayer, just power that you give to us for absolute victory. And I pray that those who are struggling right now would be encouraged by these words, that you've used them to buoy them up and, and breathe into their spirits truth and life and hope. Because this side, there are defeats, but the ultimate victory is ours through the resurrected Christ. And Lord, if anyone's listening who again continues to deny you, reject you, make themselves their own God, or keep looking for something else, Lord, show them by your Holy Spirit, this is the truth, and you are the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray that in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.